1: Welcome everybody to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and everything it takes to grow and deliver and sell and price it. Uh, Today, I'm really excited to have a a special guest, uh, Mike Skripnek, who is uh, an entrepreneur's entrepreneur, speaker, uh, counselor. has been historically in the financial planning, uh, legacy planning business, but has taken a completely new direction, a completely more customer-centered direction. And so I'm thrilled to have Mike here. Mike, welcome. Hey, Mark. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about the journey that got you from being a
0: financial planning guy to where you are now. Um well, for me, it started in a time very similar uh without a pandemic, but with a, a global financial crisis twelve years ago. I was midway through my investment management career and really wasn't living what I would call my passion so you know on the weekends and evenings, i 'd be family man coach uh, volunteer, and during the day, I was living full on wall street um, and and when the when the crisis hit, it just was like this is just not me so What ends up happening is I set this big goal, want to give a million dollars to charity every year. And how do I build an investment management business around that? And, you know, six years later, we were able to trounce that goal. Um, I was getting more time off than ever before. My business was 10 times bigger. And that was magical. Like the learning process, the experience of getting there, knowing you could do something unique in a very commoditized industry uh, for me was uh, what kind of magical. And then because of that, um, I decided to turn my attention towards helping entrepreneurs and owners uh, learn how to do exactly what I had, so they can make a big impact and you know have the business they always wanted. So that was that was the that was the turning point for me. Ultimately, is um, a big huge goal that directed a business uh, reconstruct, if you will, yeah. and um, you know learning that it could be done. And I I really got off on the idea that I could teach it versus. Um, you know, continue it. So I opted for the teaching.
1: Yeah, you went from uh, been there, done that to now it's time. Now it's my time to teach other folks. That's kind of why I got into consulting. One of the things that really um, attracted me to to you and your business is that um, you didn't just reconstruct that financial services business model. You looked, turned it on its head and looked at it uh, rather than from the uh, brilliant financial product guide Product guy, designer out, uh, but from the client in. So tell us more about that. I'm I'm really excited to hear more about that.
0: Yeah, it was interesting because earlier than that period, I just kind of I just I simply wrote down on a piece of paper um, the way the industry was, and it was just it wasn't sitting well with me, and for whatever reason. Um, and really, the industry was about an institution building research and product development. And by building a sales force and then marketing to people, right? And so the, the client, <laughs> the end user who which we really depended on, um, their priority uh, was the bottom of that ladder. So I just put them at the top and said, what do we need to do to make our clients, um, you know, serve our clients in the best way possible and then ultimately make our organization serve our customer? And that was a huge turning point in the way I thought, but I didn't understand how to do it. And how to articulate, how to work with people at that level, really, until after that crisis. And then once I said, well, I'm going to start um, giving instead of hoarding through my business, that's when it all shifted for me. And I learned the language I needed to be client centric. Before it seemed, I I really honestly didn't mean it, but it seemed like it was um, kind of me centric. (laughs) It was just service, like client, client centricity was lip service because it was just marketing until I truly said, well, how do I give instead of hoard and how do I help people do that? Then it just turned on its head and all of a sudden the language started to become apparent and understanding what that really meant, um, you know, became powerful for my business.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's like three things I want to, three, three questions I want to ask right now. First one is simple and I'll keep it short is that language is so important, right? Um, the language of saying I'm customer centric is important. The language, and but you started living that and suddenly the words started taking on a different meaning from lip service to personal commitment.
0: Um, that's pretty big. Second thing I wanted to say, and you commented comment on it if you want. Yeah. Well, yeah, my comment is that that's kinda, you prosthetalize. <laughs> proselytize (laughs) that very thing within the organizations you work with is um, being client centric or client first isn't just marketing and I noticed all the institutions that I had made that little table from where they put the institution at the top um, all those institutions started using client first you first we think about you you know it was all back on the client the marketing was starting to happen but they didn't live it they didn't fundamentally change their infrastructure Uh, So the big change for me is I fundamentally changed everything about the way I did my business. And when I did that, um, and it it wasn't easy, (laughs) it's not easy to go through that, especially when uh, the whole industry is, you know, used to a certain way. I mean, people did, people used to ask me to go to meetings and ask me to do that. And then all of a sudden, they just stopped. And then for a while, they didn't know what I was doing. And then they were just like, they were dismissive. Yep. And that was kind of nice because they just let me create this on my own, right? And then at the other end of it, they're going, well, how did you do that? How did you make that work? And I said, well, you would have been interested, should have been more interested, you know, a few years ago. Yeah. So I have talked to uh,
1: a couple people with very unique business models in, in that financial planning, um, fiduciary industry, Only only a couple, like I can count on a couple hands if I was a really bad carpenter and had cut a couple off, uh, (laughs) I could still count on that one hand, the number (laughs) of uh, folks that have broken out to such a fresh business model. Um, But I suspect that the products you sell or, you know, under the new regime, aren't that much different than the products you sold when you were being seller centric. You're you're fitting. Them, are you fitting? Is it like the same products, but you're fitting them you're kind, together? You're uh,
0: kind. You're, you're kind of right in that, in one way. Uh, it also forced me to admit some other things. Admit number one, I, you know, that uh, picking and market timing was a, a a mugs game, and that there were better solutions. And so the world of better solutions had a had quite a spectrum of things that we're good, but if you just go through a strategic, anytime you go through a strategic process uh, of, of a benefit and you look at the benefit and then you go through the bottom of it and you do proper planning, the outcome basically spits out, you know, well, if I had a product that gave me this, then what are the characteristics that are good for the client? Well, low cost, low taxes, low turnover, less predictability, unpredictability, all that stuff, right? And then all of a sudden it seemed suitable and what you end up being in is the role of strategic advisor to the customer and that can and that has universality like it's not just in the financial service or professional service industry it can be in a product industry as well yeah so
1: what i'm trying to you you, you answered that really well and where i want you to take it is a discovery i've made and agree or disagree I, and you know don't don't yeah as, as fits. but uh, I have found with many of my other clients that really small differences in what you sell can make a huge difference to your customer. If you only understood your customer well enough, you would find out what a huge difference this tiny product difference might make for them. And because it's a huge difference to them, your success rate, and you've already said you, you've grown your business by, an Order of magnitude, right? Mm, yeah, um, but it wasn't because you had to think of brand new products, it's because you had to listen better and put some of the existing products available in front of your customers and tell them why
0: this is so much better for them. Oh, am I, you're exactly getting yeah, anywhere yeah. close. Oh, you, you nailed it because, um, and also think that in 20, 2008, 2010, you know, I was a fox in, in the hen, in the hen house. Yeah. If I wanted to serve high net worth people, philanthropy, and nonprofits, um, you know they certainly didn't trust me and my brethren. <laughs> you yeah. know we caused the whole financial crisis, basically in everybody's eyes, right? So we still had the same general products to market, right? Or to use, it became tools. The thing is, is as you reposition the language and as you reposition the priority, um, looking at benefits only for the client, you un- begin to understand that what you had was were tools, not products. And so the tools or the tactics made the strategy come to life. The number one thing I always tell people in a marketing sense is if you truly, truly believe that what you do is of value and will help others in some way in their life and create a benefit for them, then you have a moral, and I I really felt this, a moral obligation to market to them, to sell to them, right? And then it really just became serving. So I sensed this obligation that I had to convince people to just agree to do what's right for them. And that was what what changed. And so consistent with what you just said, it's really when you change the language and you change the positioning, you don't have to change the product. You just have to bring the horse to water. And it wasn't marketing and selling anymore. It was serving and executing a strategy.
1: Yeah. And I, and I imagine that it's not the same solution when, when you do some really great Customer-focused discovery. Uh, I happen to hate the word qualifying because that's a seller-centric word. Um, call it discovery because now you're mutually discovering goals together. But you don't have one solution that fits every one of those problems. There's a there's a family of solutions depending on some customer-centric sought outcomes, outcomes that they're looking. So. Um, you have the faith that what you offer is going to be a value and you you have the obligation to market it, but it's not the same it that you're selling to every single one of your clients.
0: Oh no. Like there were plenty of opportunities that um, tools that otherwise I might use or our products I might offer in one place were completely not applicable. And the great thing, and this actually engaged and and endeared uh, my, my relationships with clients more is that we said, well, these are, 10 things that, you know, other people might get, but they don't suit you. You know, people found when you took that away and you said, well, it's not even applicable to you. And you know, this option isn't right and this option doesn't fit because we went through this process. um, You know, they, they felt even more um, trusting and more engaged in the process. So yeah, by, by not using certain tools or selling certain products to people just because you used to, um, you know, was even more powerful, built the relationship better.
1: Yeah, in eight two thousand eight two thousand nine, I was in a different part of the financial services industry. I was in commercial real estate lending. Mm. So Ooh. we're the guys who like. Oh. N- yeah, I was next really door running. to the guy You were the guys who were blamed for it. I was next door to the guys who really did it. Um,
0: right. <laughs> yeah. No kidding.
1: And um, so you just got the blame. I was like looking over the corner, you know, looking over the transom at the guys doing it and thinking, this is.
0: Goofy. Now, how how could you leverage upon leverage how did you create a package of leverage on that little tiny piece of real estate that's now a thousand times bigger financially
1: yeah well actually you know i sold money i was at uh, ge capital so oh, I yeah sold, i sold money right and uh which is a commercial real estate law but we had ability to put different kinds of terms and conditions a combination of prepayment penalties and loan term that nobody else could combine. Right. thousand companies could do this loan term, 200 companies could do this amortization, but one company in the world could do that loan term with this amortization. Oh yeah. And so I, you know, we used to joke that we were the world's largest niche lender cause we were looking for a small number of borrowers who wanted that exact structure because when they wanted it, they really wanted it and they'd pay a premium for it. Uh, but we hadn't invented that prepayment penalty. We hadn't invented that amortization. We just figured out a way to be the only one to offer the, both at the same time. Right. And um, that's that became a big deal.
0: It was a big deal,
1: um, no question. So being super uh, responsive to your customers um, and uh, the other thing that's leaping out to me is that you may have a system, in some of my product world, uh, I call that mass customization. And that is you listen to a customer and what it looks like to a customer is a highly custom product, but the way I bring it to them is so modular that it was easy for me to just take a switch, turn a couple knobs on my existing machine and spit out this custom solution. Uh, Because there are so many financial products in the world, the secret is, the front end conversation and com- customer centric and value centric mindset and conversation so that you can uh, pull a- exactly the right things off the shelf.
0: It, it really did come down to knowing your client, knowing your ideal customer and, and seeking them out. And for me, you know, when, when I just basically said this is a philanthropic like presently with my coaching, you know, my business coaching and counseling, I work with people who have impact mindset and just can't figure out how their business will give them that freedom to you know, have the impact they always wanted to um, for themselves, their families and their communities. Back then, it was this pretty much the same. It was how do, I, um, you know, how do I avoid taxes by making a bigger legacy gift because I always know I could do it. I just don't know how. And so that conversation starter was, I want to give more. And everything flew, flowed from there. And then you're right the discovery was the critical point of customization that's where you know if you have i don't know those flow charts where you see you know things going if this happens then turn right if that happens turn left so the discovery at that moment once these people came through that process of identifying themselves um the discovery really directed the next steps but and at the bottom of course i was armed with the right products and you know sequence of tools uh, that's my that was my role um, but really to m- move people through that discovery was where we found out where they needed to go next.
1: Yeah. So we're talking about financial planning, but what you really do now a lot more of your time is devoted towards culture and uh, excuse you, coaching. And um, as a matter of fact, you've written the book uh, entrepreneur secrets to a grow, get, give life. So tell us more about that part of your journey and, and that part of what you do now.
0: Yeah, thanks. I um, well, the book was just basically I it's my fifth book, and it was a culmination of all the things that I learned along the way to build a business that I you know that I basically sold in 2016 um, in the financial service industry. How do I differentiate in a in a commoditized world? How do I stand out um, and ultimately you know have that impact? So um, all the things I learned, all the great coaching and mentoring I had every book I ever read and and then some and then all the actions I took both good and bad I mean I made some big mistakes along the way over over three decades Um, I put them all into a book and just gave a person a simple guide Um, a while ago someone whispered into my ear early on when I was just trying to figure out what this grow get give stuff was all about and he goes and he's Italian and he leaned over and he goes Mike I really love your grow get give mantra or philosophy and I'm like He's whispering it like it was a big thing, right? In the middle of a restaurant. I go, but it hit, on, hit me at that moment that it was a philosophy. And so I thought, well, what does that really mean? Well, growing your business is all about connecting, engaging customers, right? It's, it's about getting your message across to others so they buy your stuff. Um, get more freedom was all about, you know, releasing yourself from the rigors of being a business owner. You know, freedom is allowable. You get more creative. You can think more. You can innovate. And you can just enjoy your life more. And then, obviously, the give is why people kind of hover around what I do in the first place, and that is to give back. So, so the book itself was is just a compilation of 90 plus ideas and secrets and tips that I learned along the way that just they work. So I just basically implemented everything I talk about in that book, and uh, and you know that was my key to success. And you know now I'm kind of rebuilding, if you will. With this book out front and um, in a pandemic, we're just all trying to navigate some new how we do business, right? We're all learning about how we do, do business, and I'm just following the same steps.
1: Yeah, uh, really fascinating. I'm, you know, I was thinking about that within the COVID, uh, the COVID, and so if you're listening to this later, we are we're recording this in middle of June, uh, right when there's uh, civil unrest and COVID, and we're figuring out did we open too soon and I'm in a state that's started to spike again. And so we are recording this in the midst of not really understanding what's coming next and uh, some periods of really uncertainty. So people are really struggling with, how am I gonna grow this business? What has changed? Um, And the last worry on a lot of our minds is how to get more freedom. Because we are, um, you know, every time, I was in a job working too hard, working lots of hours, and then I would leave that job. You know, when I got laid off during the financial crisis, I was working really hard, being really successful, and I had this free time, but I did not give myself the freedom to enjoy it because, oh, you're out of a job. You got to go like grind uh, grind and find a new one and don't be happy, make yourself miserable. And what a waste of an opportunity. And then give back, figure out. Um, that thing that is going to make you happy and more relaxed and more productive so that you grow your business. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I find that. So I I think the kind of the middle of what you were targeting when you were writing that was a lot of entrepreneurs, but you know, a junior salesperson at a giant company can take that same mindset and really uh, do something special with it. I think.
0: Well, I, I would agree now. Not everyone has the, the time flexibility um, within their uh, role, right? Like some people actually have to be there at nine o'clock and have to leave at four or five or, you know, and work Monday to Friday or whatever the rules are and their structure of their vacation days. Uh, but taking a, using a mindset about how you work through that, even if you're if you're in, you know, part of a schedule, stuck in a schedule, at the confines of schedule, how you live your life on a seven-day, 365-day, uh, you know, a year basis is about where your mindset is throughout your day. And you can structure the usefulness of your time throughout a day that you have to be in a certain place to be more productive or to give you moments of creativity, uh, rest, time, away from work even while you're putting in the hour right Uh, it is possible but it's a matter of mindset and ability to be committed to the habits that make it so you know when I think about committed to being the habits like I I didn't you know early on when I was trying to figure this business this whole model out for myself I was working 12 hours a day seven days a week and and coaching soccer and like all kinds of stuff on the other side right volunteering boards directors And, you know, I had no time. I really didn't. And I said, this has to stop. And I started to put out goals. I'm going to take all of August off because of some things that our family were doing. And then I said, well, I'm going to work every six weeks in a big window and then take four or five days off. And so I started just to commit to those um, certain kind of uh, openings and work towards them and build my work days. And now funny that we're in this, Mark, is we're in this almost... um, It's hard even to tell which day is Monday and Sunday, right? And we have this ongoing opportunity to build our days around our lives and our work. And more and more people might find themselves working remotely or having less requirement to be in a space for a very specific time. Um, We have to also thank the millennials because they were way ahead of the curve on this one, (laughs) working anywhere (laughs) from any time and any hour. But, you know, you can begin to learn how to build a schedule or routine around it with habits that allow you freedom during those days. So, you know, I think employers might actually be far more lenient about the way things go in the future as well. So there's a lot of really interesting opportunities here.
1: That sounds great. Is there anything else that you you want to make sure that uh, we I didn't ask you that you'd like to make sure that uh, there's a there's a point there that is. That I missed,
0: <laughs> Mark, I don't, I mean, what you've really covered is, is, is the fact that it's, what's critically important in a relationship in sales, from, from the sales force to customer, you know, the, the receptionist, is that you ultimately have to consider how the client experience, what the client benefit would be in any of it. And when you figure that out and you live it, not just talk it, not just sell it, um, your whole business will transform to be a serving business and you'll see growth like you know like never before and I'm I'm living proof of it and I know that my clients have had the same experiences
1: yeah, you know I I couldn't agree more I just use the term value and uh, customers don't buy your product or service they buy their own outcomes and how bad they want those outcomes is the value absolutely of, of your product or service and so, I, mean, I we agree that's just the language I use so the whole trick of understanding value means understanding the customer's outcomes and building from there first. And um, so many salespeople are just really bad. I, I, when I was this, when I was a consultant for this big sales training company uh, I rubbed shoulders with consultants who had between us over a hundred thousand business-to-business, business, high-end sellers from the companies you know, love, and trust, um, opportunity reviews. And based on six figures, 100,000 or hundreds of thousands of opportunities, salespeople are really bad at understanding the customer's outcome.
0: Oh, yeah. Wow. And, and
1: so it's a, it's a widespread thing, and it is, it is the equivalent of dribbling a basketball. It is the equivalent of kicking a ball in soccer. If you can't kick the ball, what, what good is it that you know all the rules? What good is it that you can run uh, two miles in, in you know, what, what good is your conditioning if you can't kick a ball? Uh, yeah, I, I, it, it is yeah. the
0: basics. Jim Rohn, Jim Rohn once said this, and he said that if you want to, you know, make money, you know, learn how to serve your market. But if you want to really be wealthy you know learn how to be of value to valuable people and in your business at any level in any person needs to understand who they're most valuable to in that relationship and maybe they may be most valuable to the next person in the chain in the company who then serves the customer but when you're all unified in that ultimate customer benefit um, then you'll understand who you're most valuable to, and you can serve them well, right? So uh, you know, I th- I think that's a pretty powerful uh, statement in itself.
1: Boy, I can't think of a more powerful way to uh, have sent off this this podcast. So Mike, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Tell uh, tell us all how we can get a hold of you to to learn more about you and and what you do.
0: Simply put, um, you can find me. Uh, just you can e- if anyone wants to just email me. They just info at MikeScriptNeck.com. A um, lot of, uh, not a lot of vowels in it, but it's right behind me. Um, you could go to growgetgive.com, which is on my website, and find me there, or otherwise I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. You'll find me anywhere. If you're online looking for me, you'll find me.
1: Okay. And for those of you who are in audio format only, uh, I will have ScriptNeck in the title of the podcast. Uh, So go ahead and, and look them up there. So, Mike, thank you so much for being here. And all of you, thank you for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we operate under the core assumption that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that your success is all in your customer's head. Thanks, and have a great day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive over you insane And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues Cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value blues